Pastor Xavier Reese with a proclamation for the arrival of the coming Savior. The 400 year of silence had been broken and the new covenant was about to begin. Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord Yahweh has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The Lord incarnate was about to begin His ministry shortly. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The scope and design of John the Baptist's ministry was to bring the people from their sins to their Savior. He came preaching the necessity of repentance for the remission of sins, and that the baptism of water was an outward sign of that inward cleansing and renewal of heart. And continuing a Simple Truth study series of the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier focuses on chapter 3 today and the mission and ministry of John the Baptist. What we want to do is look at the inception of the ministry of John the Baptist, which is characterized by three things here, verse 1 through 14. First, we have the ministry of John was historically documented, verse 1 and 2. Secondly, the ministry of John was scripturally authenticated in verse 3 through 6. And then thirdly, the ministry of John was heavenly initiated, verse 7 through 14. Notice the physician Luke was a good historian and has carefully associated the events of his gospel in relationship to secular events up to this point. The ministry of John was scripturally authenticated. Look at verse 3. John went throughout the area of the Jordan River. John went out and um, he moved as a prophet periodically from region to region. John went about preaching the gospel. Then notice in verse 4 through 6, John was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. In verse 4, he identified himself as a forerunner of Messiah. He quotes Isaiah as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 3 and 4. The two other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke, quote this also, Matthew 3, 3 and Mark 1, 3. John also quotes Isaiah here in John 1, 23. John identifies, notice here, the Baptist himself with the prophecy, saying, the voice crying in the wilderness, saying, So he makes it clear that what he's doing is according to Scripture and God's direction. He indicated the urgency of his message. John proclaimed the Messiah. The king was coming. Prepare the way of the Lord Yahweh. Make his paths straight. The Lord was the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the one to save them from their sins. Yahweh, Shua, Jehovah, Yahweh is salvation. The name Joshua, contraction, same thing. The Hebrew Joshua, the Greek name Jesus, same thing. Matthew 1, 21, 23 says, He shall save his people from their sins. The language and imagery is of a person of royalty coming, and the people would make the path straight, level, understanding the meaning here to be moral and spiritual, preparing their hearts 
but culturally it would happen, as we'll see. Now notice John proclaimed all manner of sin was going to be confronted and have to be dealt with in relationship to the coming Messiah. Verse 5. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low and the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. The imagery again is cultural and marks again the coming of a king to repair the roads that would make him smooth and comfortable for his journey and he would arrive there without any problems. Yet the various defects on the road could never be remedied to perfection. In fact, that's the point. The proclamation that the Messiah is coming to accomplish this. It's in the future tense. Shall be. Try as we may, you will never make your crooked way straight. Your rough places smooth. That's believing in yourself and you still can save yourself. You cannot. God has to transform you. The valley to be filled, the mountain brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough made smooth refers to the sins and the sinfulness of man that Jesus was not only going to forgive the sin but give the ability to live the life that is pleasing to God through repentance through that new birth. You certainly didn't act the way you do now before you heard the gospel and repented. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had to repent. You could just keep on doing what you were doing. There was a drastic change, a life transformation. Notice he included a passage of Isaiah here in verse 6. The other gospels do not quote this. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The tense again is future. This is Isaiah 40, verse 5. The promise included the Gentiles. The 400 years of silence had been broken and the new covenant was about to begin. Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord Yahweh has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The Lord incarnate was about to begin his ministry shortly after John. Jesus declared in Luke 7.28, For I say to you, among those born of a woman, there is none greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's no greater authority and statement about John the Baptist than the words of Jesus. All the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, not one miracle did John ever do. And he's greater than all of them because of his position in history. The only way to God has been signed in blood. There is only one way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. How broad people want to make the way today. More than Jesus. Include everybody else. No. One way. There's one name, Acts 4, 12. There's no name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved, Jesus Christ. There's one mediator, one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Mary can't do nothing for you. Peter can't do nothing for you. You certainly can't do nothing for yourself. One way, one name, one mediator. What is it that we don't understand? The ministry of John was scripturally authenticated, being very credible. 
Notice thirdly, the ministry of John was heavenly initiated in verse 7 through 14. In 7 through 9, John declared an uncompromising message to the unrepentant in God's authority. This is always the way we're to preach. Not to go out of our way just to offend people, but to call things as they are. He rebuked sharply those who were insincere about repentance, verse 7. John confronted them with strong language. Then he said to them, the multitude that, uh, that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers? Whoa. John wouldn't get a job in our churches today. The message was clear. They were children of the wicked one, Satan. He didn't call them vipers, but offspring, children of. He's a liar, Satan. Cunning, poisonous, deceptive, hypocritical, treacherous. Matthew tells us that John told this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were coming to be baptized. And he warned them of the judgment. Matthew 3, 7. All came confessing their sins, we're told by Matthew in Matthew 3, 6 and Mark 1, 5. Notice John cautioned them. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The phrase, who warned you to flee, we're told is the heiress, indicating, Lenski says, that Satan suggested that these hypocrites can actually escape God's wrath. And there are people who are so self-deceived by Satan that they believe that they are somehow an exception to all the word, the rules, and they can do different things, and they're going to escape the wrath of God. Who are they listening to? Satan and others who are following Satan. The wrath, the word is orge. It's the natural disposition of God against all sin due to the fact of his holiness. His holiness demands his wrath and he must manifest punishment to all sin. The final judgment refers to the second coming or the white throne judgment. It is present active, the coming wrath. Look at verse 8. He demanded evidence of repentance in their lives. John told them they were deceiving themselves, therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. The word worthy means having equal or corresponding weights. In other words, one must match the other. If someone teaches you and you know very clearly that he says if he has a bird, then the bird must fly. And he says, oh, yeah, I got a bird. And he takes you over his house and he shows you a pig. Something doesn't balance out. Okay? So in other words, if you say you're a Christian, then there must be a change of life. It's got to be equal weights. John told them their national heritage did not exempt them from repentance. It meant nothing. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. How many Americans say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Really? Well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, my, my, my parents grew up in the Presbyterian church. What does that mean? Because the rats in the cookie jar doesn't make them a cookie. Abraham and father are emphatic. The Jews believe God created the Gentiles just to kindle the fires of hell. You know how 
deep-rooted the hate was? We think black and white is back, bad here in America, even in the past. You haven't been to the Middle East. They believe, the Jews believe, that God created the Gentiles to kindle hell, like a fire. Samaritans, forget it. You go down the Via Maris up the coast, or you go across the Jordan, the King's Highway, and then when you cross over, shake everything off in case you might have some Gentile dust on you. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. John 4, the woman of Samaria. Notice in 8, John told him God was the only one able to turn stony hearts to hearts for God. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Their hearts had become hard as stones that only God can break. Just as God was about to do this for the Gentiles who were considered stones, dead. (laughs) Notice in 9, he denounced those who refused to repent. He denounced them to the wrath of God's judgment. Rejecting God's love and grace has severe consequences. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The word now means already and is emphatic. The axe with the article points to divine judgment. It's ready. Rejecting God's love and grace means eternal punishment. He says, therefore, every tree which does not bear Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Lenski, the Greek scholar, says the present tense of cut down and thrown down are indicative present passives, referring to a timeless present. Now, we see judgment here, and we we identify, but yet in John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He doesn't abide me. I will cut and cast into the fire. And we don't want to accept judgment there, do we? We say, oh, no, it's security. No, no, no. It's judgment just like here. So we were very convenient depending on our theology, whether we believe once saved, always saved or not, how we twist the scriptures. Let the context speak for itself. The belief that a person just ceases to exist after death is unbiblical, annihilation. All will live eternally in heaven or the lake of fire. Well, I can't handle a God like that who would, you know, have people suffer. Well, he's really, really bummed out about what you believe. He's God. He's holy. How dare us? Notice verse 14 through 10 through 14. John declared a clear message to the repentant by God's authority prompting them to ask the right questions. If you're preaching the gospel, let me tell you, you're going to hit nerves. And people are going to be asking right questions or being offended because of the truth they're hearing. One of the two. The average person in the crowd are recorded first, verse 10 and 11. The question is, so the people ask him, saying, what should we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. They were to be generous and compassionate towards the poor and less fortunate as Christians, as believers. Simple. 
equal weight. Not to be saved. You don't do this to be saved. But it's evidence that you are saved. You're merciful. You're compassionate. You're generous. They are imperative commands, not suggestions. The tax collectors in the crowd are recorded second, verse 12. And these guys were just abominable to society. They couldn't be (laughs) tolerated. The question, then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Now, all these three categories are those that stand opposed to those who were insincere. These were sincere. These are truly repenting. And John is giving them the counsel of their new life. Teacher, what should we do? The answer. And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Tax collectors were most despised, considered to be traitors by helping Rome to oppress them. Rome would contract a job of raising taxes and collecting them, and people would bid on them, and whatever contractor got the job, then they just had to give that set amount to Rome, and anything else they raised after that could be their own. And so they often abused their power and authority and robbed the people. Nothing has changed, has it? John told them to be honest and fair to people as Christians, as believers now. These are also imperative commands, not suggestions. Then in verse 14 and 15, we have the third group, the soldiers in the crowds. The question, likewise the soldiers ask him, saying, and what shall we do? And isn't that the case, three different groups here? Because you're hearing the the answer to the first one, and you're saying, oh, bummer, I wonder if I have to do that. But he answers them according to where they're living. If if, if you're you're a hottie dancing at nightclubs for guys and you're born again, you got to stop that. Can't do that no more. If if, if you're peddling dope, you got to stop that. You can't do that no more. And what should we do, the soldier said. The participle, rather than the noun, Linsky tells us, conveys they served as voluntary soldiers. In other words, these guys were mercenaries. The answer, so he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Soldiers intimidated, put fear in people, extracted money and property. They accused them falsely. So they could coerce them and manipulate them. Wages of the soldiers weren't always paid with money, but rations, commodities. You've heard of the saying, a person, that you're worth your salt. That's how soldiers were paid often, in salt. Because salt was very valuable. You used it for preserving and purifying, and you could always sell it because people needed it. They didn't have refrigerators. Be content. There's no imperatives here. Now we can all identify with all these three groups. Those things should be going on in our own life once we've come to Christ. Not just living for ourselves. A man and a woman must know three things in order to be steadfast, unmovable, 
and courageous as a Christian. First, you must know you're called. You're called into the kingdom of God. You're saved. And whatever he's called you to do, you need to know. What does God want me to do? Secondly, you must know you have that anointing on that call. That God has enabled you, equipped you by the gifts because of the calling. And thirdly, you must know that you're sent wherever these, he calls you to serve. Call, anointed, and sent. If you aren't sure and confident that, you will always be looking to others that you will think are more spiritual than you and have a closer walk with God, and you will doubt so many things. The message of the gospel must be preached to all, knowing God gave his son for all. John 3.16, for the world. The scriptural history of God's dealing with man is a witness of man's sinfulness, as you know. God gave Adam and Eve a chance to repent. They chose to repent. God didn't force them to repent. God gave a chance to Cain to repent. He chose not to repent. God didn't predestine Cain to not repent. Otherwise, God would be responsible for Cain's lostness. God gave a chance to Israel to repent. But Israel chose not to repent, so they went into captivity into Syria and into Babylon. And in 70, scattered throughout the world, their land taken away from them for 2,000 years. God gave Judas Iscariot chance after chance to repent. But he chose not to. Free will. A choice. The person who repents demonstrates by their manner of life they have been transformed. Again, fornicators don't fornicate anymore. Drunkards don't continue to drink anymore. Gossipers don't continue gossiping. Homosexuals don't continue in homosexual lifestyle. It's real simple. The gospel has the power to transform every sinful individual regardless of the sin. For you are creating the image and likeness of God. It is marred. We are fallen. But that's why the new birth and the gospel are here to empower you to live to the glory of God. The ministry of John was based on heavenly initiation here being very acceptable. Initiated from heaven. And so here we have the inception of the ministry of John the Baptist characterized by these three things. The ministry of John was historically documented being very reliable. The ministry of John was scripturally authenticated being very credible and the ministry of John was heavenly initiated being very acceptable reliable credible and acceptable the gospel man nothing like it absolutely nothing like it the only thing that can change your life and mine 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the power of the gospel to truly transform lives, as proclaimed by John the Baptist from the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 3. Now, today's message titled, The Ministry of John the Baptist, is available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, The Ministry of John the Baptist, or simply mention today's date. Make your request by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And join us for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com